John chapter 21. We're beginning in verse 18 and reading through the end of the chapter. We are indeed finishing up the gospel of John today. And it's been maybe just a little over two years since we had started in this gospel. And I pray that it has been very beneficial to you, that it has been a blessing to you, as I know it has to me, to Jason. Uh, This has been an amazing book, uh, one of my favorites uh, that is contained in Scripture, as it is with Jason as well. And as, as the Apostle John closes his testimony concerning our Lord... Uh, I think of the the words of J.C. Ryle when when he states concerning the gospel of John's conclusion. He says, These verses form the conclusion to John's gospel and brings to an end the most precious book in the Bible. The man is much to be pitied who can read the passage without serious and solemn feelings. It is like listening to the parting words of a friend whom we may possibly not see again. This gospel has been... Amazing. Uh, So dear to our hearts concerning the things that we've learned and the the way in which John has presented Christ to us that we may behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, as he says. He has disclosed for us so much concerning the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so many passages that just set Christ's majesty before us. He identifies him as God in the very first chapter He is the God-man. He is the one who dwelt among us, the one who took on flesh. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John tells us. Throughout the gospel, he's told us that he is the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the true vine. That it is Christ alone who gives that living water who raises up all who behold him and believe in him. For those who receive him, as John tells us, he grants us the right to become children of God and to call upon our Lord. We read so many things of the titles that are given to Jesus and and what those titles have, have presented to us concerning his character and concerning his mission, his work. We read of the life giving sacrifice of our Lord and the previous weeks, him giving himself in place of his people, and then the promise of the Holy Spirit that he would come in the fullest measure and empower all believers. There are so many things that we have studied throughout this gospel that the Spirit of God who comes will be another comforter. He will be one to lead us into truth, to guide us, to dwell with us, to dwell in us, all the blessing of the fullness of the Spirit Christ has disclosed through this gospel. John recorded for us the extraordinary events of our Lord's resurrection appearances and trying to place everything together to get a fuller picture of the day in which he had risen. The words that he says to his disciples as he appears to them a number of times, peace be unto you. What comfort that he gives to them, what comfort he brings to all of us. We've learned, indeed, that he is our only sovereign who directs our paths in life as he did the disciples in the beginning of chapter 21 as we've been going over the past couple of weeks. What Christ has appointed for them to do, they don't go back to their own life. They, they do exactly what Christ has appointed for them. 
He appoints us to do what he wills. And as we work our way through the conclusion of John, we will see that our Lord is the one who is indeed Lord over our future, concerning our life, our death. And then he ends with such a great hope that we would have in Christ to know that this, this testimony is indeed true. This is a very fitting conclusion to this wonderful gospel. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We will begin in verse 18 and read through verse 25. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will gird you. Someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are, other, there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this time that we have together to honor you, to worship you, to study your word once more, to reflect upon the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ here in the conclusion of this amazing gospel. And Father, we, we thank you for all that we have learned thus far. And we ask that the Spirit of God would once again move in our hearts and open our minds, allow us to see the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, to delight in him, to adore him even more for all that he is and all that he's done. We pray that you bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire in us. For in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> we talked about how chapter 21 of John's gospel really focused a lot on Peter and the restoration of Peter as we went over last Lord's Day. That was an amazing uh, dialogue between Jesus and Peter. You see the humility of Peter. You see that it was necessary that Jesus restore him in the way that he did before the rest of the disciples because we remember that it was Peter that Jesus had, had said to him that Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, speaking of all of you. But Jesus said to Peter specifically, but I have prayed for you. I prayed for you that when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. 
How was Peter to do this after being such a broken man, after denying his Lord at least three times? And we had talked about how Jesus had first announced to Peter that he was going to deny him in the upper room. And then as they are on their way to the Mount of Olives, as the other gospel records, that it was brought up again. And Jesus tells Peter again. And he was so confident, so full of himself that he would not do such a thing and ended up doing, ended up doing exactly what our Lord said he was going to. And he runs out of the city and he weeps bitterly after denying his Lord. So Peter is such a broken man. And so when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Using that higher form of love, that agape love, Peter only responds with the lesser love. Yes, Lord, you know I have affection for you. He was unwilling to use the same word that Jesus was using because of what he had done. He knew that he didn't love Jesus to, with that higher love as, as what is, is necessary. What Jesus is worthy of. And so Peter was unwilling to use that same word. And so when you see the reply and Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. He's not using the same word of love as what Jesus is. Because he is very humbled by what had occurred. Jesus asks him three times. Again, giving him three opportunities to affirm his love. Whereas he had denied him before. And finally, Jesus uses the same word as Peter. Peter, do you have affection for me? And Peter becomes grieved in his heart. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus had commissioned him even after his failures to tend to his sheep, to shepherd the sheep, to tend to the lambs, to feed them. He was restoring him back and commissioning him to be a shepherd, an under-shepherd. And Christ was, was bringing to him his most precious, the thing that is most precious to, to him, which is his, his people. And he's saying to Peter, care for my people. What a beautiful dialogue that that was. A beautiful restoration of Peter. And how much I pray that it had comfort us to go over that, to understand that even in our greatest failures, that our, one, our Lord's love is never taken away. And two, that doesn't mean that we're put on a shelf that cannot be used and cannot be used anymore. Peter is a great example of the grace and the mercy of our Lord. So still, Jesus is talking to Peter, restoring him, and it seems as if Peter, perhaps feeling more uh, at peace, being very comforted by Jesus' words, he, he further says to Peter, Jesus does, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now, in this, in this portion of God's word, we are seeing John is concluding this and he is demonstrating again that Christ is the Lord over our futures, He's over our destinies, over every aspect of our life, concerning the things which happen in our life. And we're reading here that he is Lord even over our death. Because he says to Peter, after restoring him, he says, there's going to come a time in which you're going to be led to a place that you don't want to go. 
and you're going to stretch out your hands. And a lot of theologians think that that is a reference to crucifixion. And as church history records for us, tradition says that Peter was indeed martyred and he was crucified. Now, this is something to consider. That he is telling Peter, the one who had previously denied him, when it came time, you know, push, you know, when it came time to, to either push forward and, and, and be at Christ's side or to relinquish back and scatter with the others. And he abandoned our Lord and denied him three times for the sake of his own life. But here, you see something different in Peter. Here, Jesus is restoring him back, and Jesus plainly tells him, really telling him the truth of what he had previously said to Jesus in the upper room. He says to Jesus in the upper room, I'm ready to lay my life down for you. And now Jesus says to Peter, that opportunity is going to come, and it will come. And you don't see that, that fear in Peter as, as what was there before. Peter is really accepting, it seems, as if what our Lord is telling him. This is the manner in which you are going to die, Peter. And he doesn't, he doesn't have anything more to say. He's going to point to the other disciple, but he's not going to cower back as he did. To run in fear and say, okay, if this is the way that I'm going to die, then I can't, I can't handle this. So here's some things to, to consider when, when looking at this. One is that from this passage of Scripture, again, as John has been speaking to us and explaining to us the, the person and work of our Lord Jesus, giving us such a hope in Him, and then he's going to conclude with this, that the timing of your death, the manner of your death, is all appointed by our Lord. Because everything that we believe and everything that we trust in, we wonder what the future holds. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord over your death. So when it occurs, it's occurring by my hand. In the manner in which you die, it's not by chance. It's not by happenstance. It's not by just random circumstances. It is by my appointed hand. And that is intended in order to give comfort to the people of God. To know that when something occurs in your life, or as the many martyrs in the early church, as they were thrown to the beast, or they were crucified, or they were used as lanterns, as torches to light Nero's gardens and all the horrific things that they endured, that they knew that this was appointed by our Lord and it did not happen outside of his control. This was a comfort to them. This will be a comfort to Peter. Our Lord is the one who appoints our death. Because he says to Peter, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. He has indeed appointed the time in which we will die just as he did to Peter. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, all the days of my life are written in your book before there was yet one of them. There is an appointed day for each person and that appointed day is, is by the will of our Lord. And that is, again, intended to give comfort because when loved ones pass away within our life, sometimes we have those questions, why, Lord, did it happen at such a young age? Why, Lord, did you have to take them now? Or you ask the question, well, what was it, Lord, that, that couldn't you have stopped this? All kinds of questions come to our minds, but if we keep this in mind that it is Jesus himself who was saying, I am Lord over your death. 
the day of your appointment is going to come and it's going to come by my will. Then we, we don't look at things and we don't say, well, it's such a shame they could have lived a longer life or whatever. This was the life that God had for them. This was the appointed time. He appoints the manner of death. This is, this is probably the, the very thing that maybe makes us a little nervous. We know that we're going to die. How are we going to die? Maybe, maybe you have a particular fear that you hope that you don't die in this certain way. Well, he appoints the manner of our death, just as he did with Peter. Peter would be crucified. Now, depending, some traditions say he was martyred and crucified. And within church tradition as well, you have it that it is said that Peter had requested to be crucified upside down. Because he didn't feel himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Either way, the manner of death was appointed by our Lord. The manner of your death is appointed by our Lord. Now, the reason why this may make us a little nervous, especially if we have any understanding of church history, we see how believers have died throughout the centuries. We see that they were wrapped up in skins and they were thrown to wild beasts in the Colosseums. You have church tradition that says some of the disciples were crucified, some were ran through with spears, some were beheaded, one was flayed alive. These are horrific deaths. Many, many of the martyrs were burned at the stake during the time of Mary, Queen of England, the Marian martyrs. We think of that and we think of, of how horrendous that that kind of a death is to to die burning alive. But even though the manner of death is appointed by our Lord, and depending, it may be something along that lines, it may be you die peacefully in your sleep, it may be a car wreck, you never know. But what we can rely on is that in the moment of our deaths, is that the grace of God will see us through. Because there are so many testimonies of, of men and women throughout church history that were so bold and courageous in the time of their deaths. And it's like, how can that be? Because we think of it now. In, any of the things that I've just said, you can think to yourself and you can, you, you maybe causes you to, to be fearful. Oh, I pray that that never happens to me. I don't know what I would do. Well, none of us know what we would do in the time uh, before it happens. But in those moments, we can rely on the grace of God to see us through. Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, we all know his testimony. And when he stands before the governor and the governor says, look, all you have to do is say away with the atheists. Because Christians were considered to be atheists. They didn't believe in the gods of, of Greece and Rome. And so Polycarp looks over the crowd and he waves at the crowd. Away with the atheists. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he's never done me wrong. How then can I now deny my Lord? So courageous. 
And it was said that as Polycarp was heading into the Colosseum that he heard a voice say, Fear not, Polycarp, and play the man. And those very words will be such a comfort to those during the time of, of the Reformation and thereafter in which they would be burned at the stake by Mary. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer says to the younger Nicholas Ridley, the very words that Polycarp had said or heard, Fear not, Master Ridley, and play the man. For today we shall light such a candle as I pray will never be burned out in England. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, John Rogers, so many others that when they get to the place of their execution would pick up some of the kindling, they would kiss it, they would put it down, they would kneel, they would pray, they would quote the, the Psalms to each other. And then they would lift their hands as they're, they're set on fire. How can they do that? One man had said, I think it was Roland Taylor, and he had lifted his, his arms as they set him aflame. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he just kept his hands up. Until finally one of the guards hit him over the head and killed him. How can they have such courage and boldness in the time of their death? Because the grace of God sees them through. A man that we had went to church with back at Fountain of Life had found out he had cancer. And he could have done... He could have done more treatments and all of that, but he decided, no, I'm not going to. I'm just going to spend time with my family until he goes. And that's what he did. So many others have done the same. And how, how is it that, that God does this? And again, it's by God's grace that they can die well. Because you think of Peter here and you, you think that Jesus is saying that this is the manner in which he is going to glorify God. He's going to glorify God in his death. We think that at our moment of death that we're, we're done. We're no, more, no longer useful. We think that only our lives are useful. And that's not the case. You can glorify the, the Lord in your death by dying in such a way that Christ is honored in your death. I remember telling my brother when he got the, the news that, that he was pretty well terminal. They gave him two months, three months. And I went over to see him, and he was so just distraught hearing the news. And I said, brother, I know this is hard. But die in such a way that Christ is going to be honored in your death. You can do that because of the grace of God that is in you. That as people come to tell you their goodbyes, that you can glorify the Lord in what you say to them. And that's what each one of us can do. You can glorify the Lord even in your death. And that when people see you, they see someone who delights in the Lord, who is delighting to see him who is so thankful 
for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to you. J. Gresham Machen, as he was writing to his friend on his deathbed, he wrote the words, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ, no hope without it. Now, for the active obedience of Christ that we may not know, that is speaking of Christ's life. Christ actively fulfilling the law of God to its perfection, his righteousness credited to you. So God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son. And that's why J. Gresham Machen is saying there's no hope without it. No hope without his life. You can glorify the Lord in your death and he is Lord over your death. And that understanding of things and that reality is what also brings comfort in the time of your last hour. I know that this is from the hand of the Lord. Because he is Lord over your death. In the manner in which you die. And he will glorify himself as he gives you the grace to endure. He's Lord over our death. He's Lord over our lives. Peter turns and he sees the other disciples speaking of John. And John is the one who is described as the one who leaned back on Jesus' bosom at the, the Last Supper, asking him who was the one who was going to betray them, betray him. So here's Peter. He's received the announcement. Peter, you said before, basically, that you would lay down your life. Well, this is the manner of your death. You're going to die by crucifixion, you're going to die a martyr. And so whether or not Peter was really concerned about John or he was just wondering, okay, if this is the announcement I'm getting, what about the other guy? So he says, looking at John, he says, well, Lord, what about this man? Well, if I'm going to die as a martyr, what about him? Now, he could have said this in, in concern for John. Okay, well, if this is my lot, then what's his? Or he could have said it in such a way, if I'm going to have to give that big of a sacrifice, well, is everybody going to give that big of a sacrifice? What, what about that man? And what does Jesus say to him? If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. What is he saying? It's none of your business, Peter. It doesn't matter what he has planned for John. You need to worry about Peter. Now, this is a very interesting scenario here, as you have two that have walked with Jesus, that have learned from Jesus, and one's going to die a martyr's death, the other's going to be banished to the island of Patmos. He's going to be released after so many years, and perhaps John is at Ephesus while he is penning this gospel, but he's going to live out his life. Now, we can look at that, because we, we do the very same thing. We see what somebody else has going on in their life, whether we think that they're better off than us or maybe they don't have as many difficulties as us. And we say, well, Lord, why, why am I having to give this or why am I having to live this way when, when they're living that way? Why can't I have that ease that they have? And Jesus' words ring true to us. What is that to you? Now, we can look at that and we say, well, that's, that's not very, doesn't seem to be very polite. 
But the point is there, isn't it? You need to worry about what Christ is having you to do in your life. What he has appointed you to do. What he has allotted to you. And not worry about someone else's. In this sense of becoming envious and bitter. This isn't saying that you aren't to take interest in other people's lives. We, we understand that, that uh, that's exactly what we are to do through other portions of scripture. Is to look out for each, each other's interests. To pray for one another. To, to fellowship. To all of that. But what is he referring to? He's saying, don't busy yourselves with, with another's life and their problems and pointing it out or being a busybody and, and, and all of that. Don't allow yourself to grow bitter because of, of envying them and their life. And this is, the, this is the deception of it. You don't have any idea what's going on in their life. You think that their life is better than yours, but you really don't have any idea. You don't know their struggles. You don't know their temptations. You don't know their pains or their suffering. The only thing you see is from the outside. So don't be so envious of another that you neglect your own life in Christ. In your own journey that he is bringing you along. The Apostle Paul, he says in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 4, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. What's he saying? Don't compare yourself with another. Don't compare your life with another that you're so consumed with theirs, wanting what they have or whatever, envying them that you're neglecting your own. And don't be so consumed in another's life and trying to help them. Maybe you have good intentions, but don't be so consumed in their life that you neglect your own soul. Don't be consumed so much in your own self that you neglect to do good to others. There needs to be a balance there. A balance in which you are feeding your own soul, that you are striving to do what what God has for your life. And that you are accepting of the lot in which God has given to you. Because he is Lord over your life. That means that everything that is occurring in your life is by the sovereign hand of God. It is not that the enemy is coming along and trying to trip you up or trying to hinder anything that the Lord is doing in your life. He is Lord over your life. And so as Job says, he appoints that or he he performs that which is appointed for me. For your sanctification, for your growth in Christ, to conform you individually. We don't look at another's life. We don't compare ourselves with them. We don't become envious of them, thinking that the Lord has blessed them more so than us. If you are a child of God and that Christ has brought you to himself and you realize that Christ has died for you, his life is applied to you, you are blessed. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he has lavished on you the riches of his grace in Christ. So don't worry about someone else. What does Jesus say? You follow me. And so that means that sometimes our lives are not going to go the same way. 
the struggles in each one of our lives are not going to be the same. So then what do you do? You follow Christ. And recognize that every step of your journey in this life, that Christ has appointed it every step. Throughout your struggles, you can either allow yourself to become bitter because you think you're sacrificing more so than another. Maybe that was Peter's concern. I'm going to have to sacrifice my own life. But John gets to live. And some will give great sacrifices in their life. But again, those sacrifices are appointed by our Lord. And he provides the grace that is needed to endure them. J.C. Rowell says that that is a comfort to know. Every step of my journey was foreknown by Christ. That is intended to be a comfort. We don't, we don't resort to saying statements like, well, this must not have been the Lord's will. This terrible thing has happened in my life. This wasn't the Lord's will. Well, we have a big problem if it wasn't the Lord's will. Can the enemy thwart God's will and cause you more pain and suffering than what God had intended? No. Not at all. Everything that occurs is by the predetermined counsel of our Lord. He works all things after the counsel of his will. That's what the text says. So yes, he's Lord over your life and every aspect of your life, every step in your life. And you can either take those times and, that he has appointed for your life and you can use them to glorify him in the, mo in the time that you have. Or you can become bitter and envious, squander your time. That, that's what you have to deal with. And that's the question though, isn't it? What would you say as of right now if you died right now? I'm not going to ask you if you died tonight. Do you know where you go? That's not the question. If you died right now and you appeared before the Lord and he says, what did you do with the time I gave you? What are you going to say? I squandered it. Doing what I wanted. Living however I wanted because I'm me and I, that's how I am. Or can you honestly say, Lord, I, I stumbled, but I tried to live my life in a way that you would be honored in it. What would you say? You know what helps us to get through this life and get through the pain is knowing that we have a great hope before us. And that's really where John's bringing this whole conclusion to. He says, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And just as a little side note there, the we in the passage, either John is just speaking generally about himself and the testimony of the disciples, or it could also have been, as some theologians suggests that perhaps John is writing this in Ephesus from the church of Ephesus and you have 
the elders that have also come alongside John of that church and given their approval to his, to his gospel. But there's the testimony. We know that these things are true. And he says that there are many other things which Jesus did. If they were written in detail, I suppose even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. There are so many other things that John could have written. But this is what he wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because this is sufficient enough for the strengthening of the faith of the people of God. And to give us that hope and to give us and to cultivate in us that greater desire for him. To live for him and to honor him as you see everything that he has done and everything that he has said that John has recorded that gives you hope in your life. This is a true testimony. And it establishes us in the faith. It's sufficient enough to establish us in the faith. As the Apostle Paul goes over those great portions of Scripture, the resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. And he really ends that section after announcing the great victory over death. He says, in view of all that information, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is really what John is saying, too. These things are written, as he said beforehand, that you may believe. And that believing you have life in his name. And this testimony is true. This is a true testimony. And it's sufficient. More could have been said again. But this was enough in order to provide the people of God with strength. In order to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. To provide us this has been written that, that we may have a reliable testimony of the one who is our sure hope, our steadfast hope, the anchor for our soul. Recognizing that every step of our life is appointed by him, our death is appointed by him, and he provides the grace in both in order to endure and to give us a greater hope to look forward to. That's, that's what John is saying. This testimony is true. What did Jesus say? What did he pray to the Father? I pray that those whom you have given me be where I am, that they may see my glory. There is that promise in the Gospel of John that all who behold the Son and believe in him will have everlasting life, be raised up on the last day. And John is saying that everything that has been said here prior, this is a true testimony to give you hope. To give you hope in light of the things that he just said. Of the reality of death. Of the reality of, of suffering in life. Sacrifices in life. This is a reliable testimony. To produce faith in you by the spirit of God. And steadfastness in the Lord. A reliable witness. So. There are so many different things that we've studied in this gospel. Throughout the entirety of this book, here at the end, life and death, hope. Do you reflect and think of these? Do you reflect upon these truths that in life and death that you're under the sovereign care of your Lord? Do you look at it that way? Do you consider that? God has appointed your journey through this life. Have you been envious of another's journey? 
and their lot. I have. I've had those times too. I've been envious of others who sometimes can still call their dad on the phone. I can't. Envious of others to think of maybe the ease that they have in their life. Do you think that? You know, again, you never know what others are going through. It's easy to look at someone's life and to say, wow, they have it so much easier and not to appreciate what God has done in your own. What are we learning, what are we learning here? Just as what Jesus really says to Peter is don't compare yourself with another. Don't compare your works with another. Don't compare your lives with another. You focus on the life that God has given to you. Why does it seem that everything's just so hard and so difficult? Because that's what this life brings. And the difficulties and the trials that you endure are, again, not to cause you to stumble, but to cause your faith to grow even more in your Lord who is bringing you along. Not to cause bitterness in you, but to cause a greater faith in you, a greater commitment to Christ and and a greater desire for Him, a greater appreciation for His sovereignty, knowing that this too is from the hand of the Lord. And are you so busy with another's life that you neglect your own in Christ? That can easily happen. You might be one of those who are just always trying to help with others and help, help, help. Anytime somebody calls, you're there. That's a, that's, a, that's a good characteristic. It's good to help others. But are you neglecting your own soul? Neglecting your own growth in Christ by, by being within the Scripture yourself, learning? Are you so consumed with another that you neglect your own? That's really the, what, what we all have to ask ourselves. Because, dear friends, here's the reality. We only have a certain amount of time that we're given. We don't know when that time is going to end, but we know that when it does end, that it was God's appointed time for us. So use your time wisely. As as Moses had prayed in, in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Use your time that you may glorify the Lord in your life, whether you're young, whether you're old. Live in such a way that you demonstrate before others your delight in the Lord. We can say all day long, well, this is just not the time for me to do that. Maybe later. Well, that's the sad reality of that is you don't know if you're going to have it later. Because while there are great advantages of being a believer in Christ as you have the hope in the Lord and you have something to look forward to, just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you get X amount of years to be here. You have your appointed time. So instead of waiting and squandering more time, 
what are you going to do with the life that he's given you now? And be appreciative of what he has blessed you with. And if you don't realize that you're blessed, then you need to go back to the beginning. Remember your justification in the Lord and what he has accomplished for you to give you this new life in Christ. Go back to the first things and let it produce in you such a greater love and adoration for him. Dear friends, let us indeed glorify our Lord in our lives amongst each other and to glorify him in our deaths when the time comes. If we are permitted and privileged enough to die before others, sometimes it may be quick, but others can still be blessed by knowing you and the life that you lived and delighting in the Lord. May our Lord be glorified in our lives and in our deaths. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you once again for your word and thank you for this book. Thank you for all the great lessons that we have learned and allowing us to see our Lord Jesus Christ in all his majesty and glory. Allowing us to see how compassionate that you are through him. How merciful, how loving. What a great hope that it, it gives us, Lord, and what peace and, and comfort that it provides knowing these truths. May we continue to grow in our knowledge of you and that the Spirit of God would take all the things that we have learned and continually bring them to our minds that we may reflect upon them daily and in our time of need to remember that you are altogether good and that you have appointed all things, Father, to bring you the most glory. We fail often. We, we think wrongly. We view things with the wrong kind of perception. Father, by the Spirit of God in us, remind us of who you are. How great that you are. How loving that you are. And that you are only a good God. May you be glorified in all things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.